0: Totally unfair to have to get up and preach after that. (laughs) That song is inspired by the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. How many know the old hymn? It was written by Horatio Spafford. The story behind the hymn is that Horatio put his wife and children on a ship bound for America. He had business in England and would join them later. And a great storm came up and the ship sank. It took days for him to finally receive a telegram from his wife, and it just had two words on it. Safe, alone. The children had died. Horatio gets on a ship and is crossing the Atlantic Ocean to be with his wife, and it was over those very waters where his children drowned that he wrote this hymn. When peace like a river attends my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Such a beautiful story to accentuate the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all of you that are laboring and are weighed down by burdens, and and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, and you will find rest for your souls. That rest that Jesus promises is not based on our circumstances. If your soul is only at rest when things are good, your soul is not at rest. It's coddled is what it is. (laughs) We know that we have found that rest when the sea billows are rolling in our lives and it is still well with our soul. This is what we're learning in this series, how to enter into that rest. And we're calling this sermon, Learning to Rest in the Cross. And the big idea is this, You will never find rest for your soul until you kneel at the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth, and I'd like you to say it with me. The message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. I heard a paraphrase of this recently that I like, that the message of the cross, the gospel, is either pitiful or powerful. If you're seeking to find everything you need in life through your own effort, then the message of the cross is foolishness to you because it requires a humiliation, it requires an acknowledgement that we're helpless to achieve that on our own. But to those of us that can get there, that very same message is the power of God and it's that power that we want to explore today. And we are gonna look in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four. So would you please turn there with me? Now, how many have studied the book of Hebrews? It's profound book but it's pretty heavy doctrinally. The specific purpose is to write to the Jewish people that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. And so the theme of the book of Hebrews is simply this, Jesus is better. We jump into the middle of this theological treatise. I'm going to begin reading right at verse 1. Therefore since the promise of entering his rest still stands, So the whole theme of this chapter is entering the rest of God. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. He's referring to the people of God in the Old Testament. They had the good news of God's deliverance declared to them. The message in specifics may have been different, but it was still the message of God's redemption and forgiveness of sins. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest, therefore since it still remains for some to enter that rest. And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And here's the exhortation, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. There are three ideas that interplay in this passage related to God's rest. The first is God's rest on the seventh day of creation. The second is the entering of the nation of Israel into the promised land, which is referred to as God's rest for them. And then the third is the rest into which we enter as Christians by faith in Jesus Christ. So the first rest is God resting in creation. When God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't out of exhaustion. God did not need a break. He rested out of fullness, not out of emptiness. You see, by the time most of us say, I need a break... We're empty, we're spent. God wasn't spent after creation. He was full with joy. He celebrated, he declared it very good. The rest that God entered into after creation was a rest out of fullness, not emptiness. It was a rest of celebration, not for the purpose of recovery. You see, that's the kind of rest that God offers. In the Old Testament, what symbolizes that rest for the people of God is the promised land. And in this passage, the writer is specifically talking about that generation that failed to enter the promised land. The story of the children of Israel from Egypt, the exodus into the promised land, is a powerful picture of our spiritual journey in Jesus Christ. So just to make sure all of us are are caught up, maybe you did not see the movie Exodus with Charlton Heston like I did when I grew up. Let me tell you, the book is a lot better than the movie. Typical. (laughs) The children of Israel, 400 years, are enslaved to Egypt, hard labor. God finally moves and sends Moses to deliver God's people, and you may know the story, 10 plagues, Pharaoh would say, okay, go, but then his heart would become hardened, and he'd make it harder on the children of Israel. And so finally, there was a last plague. God says, I'm going to send the angel of death, and I'm going to take the firstborn of every household except those who follow my instructions carefully. The Jewish people were told to sacrifice a lamb, to take the blood of that lamb, and to paint it over the doorpost of their home. The promise was, and it came to pass, that as the angel of the Lord saw the blood on the doorpost, he literally passed over that home. That's where the phrase Passover comes from. God's judgment passed over the home, listen, that was covered by the blood of the lamb, Powerful, and out of that comes liberty. They are delivered from their enslavement, they exit Egypt, and they enter into this relationship with God that for these generations they had not had. That's why, when he introduces himself even to Moses, he has to tell him, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's farther back for him than the founding of the United States for you and me. That's how long it had been since God was engaged in an active relationship, and now the children of Israel enter into this relationship where God's showing up. Shekinah, glory, pillar of fire, pillar of smoke, Mount Sinai, miraculous deliverance. And then they come to the land that God had promised their forefather Abraham, Canaan land, which is referred to as their rest. This generation failed to enter that rest. And so the thing we have to understand from their story is that you can enter into relationship with God, you can be liberated from bondage of sin, but never experience and enter into the full rest that that salvation makes available to us. So for us, we are set free from our slavery to sin and death by the blood of the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb and so the judgment of God passes over the child of God. Do you understand that? I get goosebumps thinking about the fact that God set up this illustration centuries before the coming of Jesus. And we enter into a new life with God just like Israel had even before they reached Canaan. But this generation, even though they were liberated from their slavery, covered by the blood of the lamb, entered into this relationship with God, somehow failed to enter their ultimate rest. And I'm certain there are people here who in spite of the fact that you've come to faith in Jesus, your life is still riddled with anxiety and fear and insecurity and anger. It is not well with your soul. Just like Israel, you have failed to enter God's rest for the very same reasons because of fear and insecurity. Keeping your eye on the the circumstances rather than on Jesus and his promises, or because of lack of faith. You don't really trust God to handle these situations, or simply because you don't know any better. Spiritual ignorance. The nation of Israel was pretty new at this thing. They didn't have history with God. And in fact, those weeks on the way to Canaan land, they act very childlike spiritually. There's a place in Scripture where God actually reminds them, when you came out of Egypt, I carried you like a child. I I took you by your arms and I taught you to walk. How do babies make their needs known? They whine. I like that. The moms here would say, they cry. They whine. I'm with you. It doesn't take long to have a baby to believe in sin nature. I love babies. But you have a baby around long enough, you go, My angel has an attitude. God's children had an attitude of an infant. I'm hungry. Wah. God doesn't correct them. Doesn't spank them. He feeds them. That's what you do with babies. wine. I'm thirsty. Wah. He provides water. And they get their teeth and they say, I need protein. I need meat. God provides quail. He just takes care of them with the hope that as they learn to walk spiritually, they'll be ready at the time to by faith take the bold step into the Promised Land, but they don't get there. And so the writer of Hebrews encourages us, so let us make every effort to enter that rest. We don't want to miss out on this rest. And so now with that in mind, We're gonna jump forward to chapter 10, and we're gonna see the role that Christ and the cross play in entering that rest. So chapter 10. Once again, the writer is comparing the Old Testament practices of worship and sacrifice with Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. So in other words, the Old Testament practices, the Levitical law, the sacrifices were a foreshadowing. They were not the real deal. Something better was still coming. For this reason, it can never, by these sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the Scriptures. I have come to do your will, my God. That's the incarnation of Jesus. He offers himself because the blood of bulls and rams would not accomplish the forgiveness of sin once and for all. Verse 8, First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, or the better. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. Day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties. My wife will tell you this passage is what led her to faith in Jesus Christ. She was raised Catholic and to her the re-crucifying of Jesus in the mass week in and week out suddenly was seen in a new light, and I don't mean this to denigrate. I think that there are uh, Catholics that are true believers. I think that there are, there are many. But in my wife's case, she saw this sacrifice week in and week out, just like in the Old Testament. And when she heard this, that's what spoke to her. So maybe you can picture it that way. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, speaking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's what Christ accomplished through the cross. I want you to look at the first half of of that very powerful verse that we just read. When this high priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for our sins. There's three phrases we're going to look at in this verse that help us understand the power of the cross in salvation and in calling us and leading us into the rest that God offers. The first is the phrase, for all time. What God accomplished was a finished work that stands for all time. There is no longer anything that needs to be done for us to find forgiveness of sins. It was for all time. Second, it was a sacrifice for sins. It was for our sins, for the sins of the world, so that we can find salvation, so we can find forgiveness and liberty but it's the next phrase in terms of our series today that I want you to really see. What's the third phrase it says? Yeah, he sat down at the right hand of God. What does that mean? He rested. Yeah, he rested. Now think about this. In the same way God the Father, when he had finished creation... Rested. God the Son, when he finished his work of recreation, rested from his labors. In other words, it's done. It's finished once and for all. And here's the beautiful thing. Ephesians 2 says that every believer is seated with him. So our natural state is completeness and rest because of the work of Christ on the cross. Isn't that amazing? We come to Romans chapter 8 now. This is Paul writing a similar argument about the power of the cross and the, the righteousness that is found through Jesus Christ as opposed to human effort and the Old Testament law. And now Paul gets going, like a preacher sometimes gets going. I know I never do that. Involved emotionally in the implications of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And what we have as a result is one of the most powerful statements for the believer and who we are because of the cross of Christ anywhere in Scripture. We're going to begin it the first few verses of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met for us. Now, this whole chapter is amazing, but we're just going to move forward to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I'm pretty sure that covers it. None of those things shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, here, here it is now. This is why, as a believer, we can enter fully because of the redemptive work of Christ into God's rest. There are four declarations that we need to learn to say to ourselves that lead us into the peace of Christ. The first declaration is, I am forgiven. I can rest from my guilt and shame there is now no condemnation not a hint of it not a shadow of it there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus i'm forgiven say that i'm forgiven the second declaration is i am free i can rest from my slavery to sin and the the need to Strive for righteousness religiously and through human effort. The law of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Say, I am free. free. The third thing we need to declare because of what Paul says in Romans 8 is, I am loved. I can rest from the constant need to prove myself worthy of being loved. This is the power of the cross, listen to me. Because some of us, what keeps us from entering the rest of God is that we still think we need to prove ourselves worthy of God's acceptance and love. We've come to faith in Christ, we've recognized that we can't earn our salvation, but then when it comes to living out our Christian life, we think we have to earn every step of it. Here's the thing, you can't get yourself saved, that's why Jesus died. You can't keep yourself saved, but you're kept anyway. God keeps you. His love is unfailing and unlimited. And here's the thing I wanna say to you that still struggle with whether you're worthy of God's love. There is nothing you could ever do as his child that will make him love you less. And here's the other thing. There's nothing you can achieve that would make them love you more. You can rest from that constant drive to prove yourself worthy. And then finally, this is the one where you you should be able to exhale a sigh of relief and enter into God's rest. I am safe. I can rest from insecurity and uncertainty because God is for me. Who can be against me? Who can separate me from the love of God? The answer is no one and nothing. And that includes you, by the way. Let's say those four things I am forgiven. I am free, I am loved, I am safe. Upon these declarations, I enter into God's rest. I was raised as a minister's child. You know my story, some of you. I learned at an early age that my dad was most proud of me when I made his job easier. When I stood up on stage and sang with the family, the eyes of my dad were upon me with great pride, and somewhere along the way, uh, that created in me, with great respect and love for my dad, that created in me this addiction for affirmation, this sense that I proved myself, I, I became worthy. And that carried into my first decade of ministry. I was mostly traveling as a concert artist and a speaker for youth conventions and the like. And there was this song by Scott Wesley Brown, beautiful song. And the chorus said, and now my greatest joy is loving you. I hated that line. I loved the song, but it, it was just trite. It was all emotional. <laughs> but I wanted to sing the song, so I rewrote that line. And what I sang is, and now my greatest joy Is serving you now it should be a joy to serve Christ but you know what that was really about for me I couldn't at that time imagine God just loving me without me proving my worthiness by serving him I hadn't entered into the rest of God that the cross makes possible until in my early 30s i had a grace encounter i came to understand what the grace of god was really all about and the theme of my life became god is for me i entered into that rest and you can enter into that rest as well let's say those four things one more time I am forgiven, I am free, I am loved, and I am safe. It's a good day to celebrate the Lord's table as we conclude because the Lord's table brings us back to the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the finished work once and for all time that allows us to cease striving and to experience the peace and rest of God. Perhaps as you partake, you could remind yourself of these statements and and let your soul be at rest. Now let's say our communion prayer together. Lord, we come to your table. As we look at the bread, we see your body pierced and bruised. We see your everlasting love. As we look at the cup, we see your blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In Jesus' name, we celebrate this communion. Amen.